This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick with host Vasilarikos and here for this week's Friday Morning GM. Uh, the first kind of big week of the offseason. Uh, we had some uh, void years come due. And uh, Vas, kind of a big week for the Ravens in some other ways as well. Absolutely a big week for the Ravens. Uh, we're kind of getting into the the heart of the offseason now. We're now a little bit removed from the postseason uh, void years, looking into the draft, NFL Combine starting next week. A um, lot going on. It's an exciting time of year for people that like the roster construction strategy. strategy. And, uh, you know, I certainly consider myself one of them. So uh fun time of year for me. Yeah, so we, we took a week off. We'll be we'll be having a show next week because there's a big date coming up on, on March 5th, which is the first day or the last day, sorry, that the franchise tag can be applied. And that involves some financially, potentially some financial moves, which have to be made to accommodate that. But let's start by talking about the void years because it's kind of a big date that's passed. Now, uh, Vast and I have talked about void years a little bit, but there are actually seven guys on the roster who had void years within their contract. And they all of those uh, on the same date effectively um, uh, passed with some resolution to them. And uh, we're going to talk about each of those seven players, starting with Michael Pierce, who was re-signed already in December. So Ravens in no danger of losing him. They already re-signed him under what I would consider to be a very team-friendly deal. Very happy to have him back. Agreed. That is certainly a team-friendly number. Uh Maybe the best year of his career last year, and should be a crucial piece to the uh, to the defensive line. Hopefully for uh, the next two years. I believe it was a two year uh, extension, two year right? Yeah, yeah, re- really surprising because they cut Pierce's contract. They, they, they renegotiated with Pierce to cut a year off his contract, to, and then added void years. And now, of course, he has you know his most snaps he's ever played. Played you know mm-hmm. over six hundred snaps and and uh, uh, played some great football. And and they really want him back and. The other thing that's surprising about it is that the defensive line now looks like they might return all five players who played every single snap this last season. Um, when going into this time last year, the only guy they had in our contract for 24 was Travis Jones. Right, right. They also extended Roger Washington, obviously, and Matabike looks to be a likely candidate for the franchise tag in one form or another. And Brent Urban is a, uh, you know, kind of a club club option type of player. So, uh, yeah, um, it's very unusual to have that kind of continuity on a defensive line year over year, especially all five of those guys 
or played healthy throughout the whole year and didn't have to call up anybody from the practice squad. So uh, it should be a strength looking forward if Matabike is retained. Yeah. Uh, one of the big, I think definitely one of the big hidden things about the Ravens. People understand that Matabike had a breakout year. People don't understand just how little the Ravens had to dip into secondary talent by going to the practice squad or, uh, you know, what they got out of the other players. And and that's where uh, uh, Ravens were, were in good shape. Anyway, moving on. Um, Aguilar, Nelson Aguilar signed on 218. Uh, I think the number I've seen is 3.75 million for another year. Uh, if I'm off by that, it's 3.25. Please don't, uh, don't. Be no, so badly about that. Three and three quarters. Yep, that's what three I saw. Also, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots. I, I think a lot to like about that deal as well. But why, why don't you start off with what you liked about it? Yeah, I think he's a. You know, you need a veteran presence in the receiver room. It's unlikely. It seems that Odell Beckham Jr. will be retained. Um, I thought he was an ideal, pr- pretty much a perfect wide receiver four, and I think. Um, That'll be a great role for him next year. I'm not going to pencil him in as a wide receiver three. I think the Ravens do need to add another wide receiver early in the draft, uh, especially with some potential issues with, say, Flowers still remaining and Rashad Bateman not taking the next step and coming up on a contract year. Uh, But as far as value for the dollar, um, 3.75 for Aguilar is uh, a right, right player, right price for me. Right. For for me as well, I thought you know, it was $3.25 million and a sixth-round draft pick, effectively, the Josh Oliver comp pick the Ravens won't be receiving in this in this coming draft because they um, uh, signed Aguilar. That, that certainly is a cost, and the Ravens need to be careful about that. But on the other end, he had a great year, and, and he had his best year at least since 2020 after two really bad years in New England where he had very bad secondary metrics. He had the best catch rate of his entire career at 77.8%. His previous catch rate for his entire career, I think, was 59. So he, 59 had changed. He improved by 18 percentage points. 121.6 passer rating throwing to him. That was a real bad spot uh, while he was at New England. And some of that's Mac Jones, but some of it's him as well. And I thought the other thing that was really great about this year was the extended play chemistry he developed with Lamar. Now there were multiple receivers that had this that this last year, but Aguilar was one of the first I thought to develop that. Not named Mark Andrews. Mm-hmm. I would agree. He did most of his damage out of the slot this year. Uh, which allowed Zay Flowers to play a lot of Z, which was certainly beneficial. Um, I agree. He had very good chemistry. He seemed to be the beneficiary of the offense and also be the beneficiary of the attention that the other players were garnering, where he would be sort of an afterthought for the defense wasn't uh, giving him too much attention, but made the most of his opportunities. Um, That tip ball touchdown he had was uh, one of the plays of the year, I thought. So, uh, yeah, a great locker room influence, it seems. And I'd be happy to have him as the only, quote-unquote, bona fide veteran going into the next season um, and save a little bit of money and, and use that money elsewhere. I I think that's the wisest strategy is to continue to try and get younger at that position because it's a very expensive position to go out and get top tier talent at you know if you want to go out and try and sign a Jamar Chase or T Higgins or something like that, that's going to cost you a whole lot of uh, of your cap to do so and it's frankly a move that's just out outside of the Ravens' ability to make, but uh, uh, they wouldn't want to make it as their one big offseason move either. I thought one of the other things about Aguilar this year that I think is indicative of the year uh, he had was the great peel-off play against the Rams to take that 
the safety, it's the right safety or the, the free safety, you could call him, draw him away from the play to, to get Zay Flowers open. And apparently he said something in the huddle to Lamar, so he's actually seen something on field, speaking up, draws the safety off. And his reaction is pure gold from the top view. You look down on this and Aguilar is fist pumping immediately, knowing that he kind of made that play. Uh, not just that he's happy the Ravens scored. It's, it's, you can tell it's more than that. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and just one of the great plays of the year. I agree. I agree. So seems like, uh, you know, a perfect fit. Uh, you like those heady players from the, those heady plays from the veterans to teach the younger players behind them. And uh, happy to have him in Baltimore for another year. So if you look at that as a wide receiver, if you consider Aguilar a wide receiver four uh, and Tylen Wallace a wide receiver five, I think you're looking for uh, one more player to add in the early rounds. And the good thing is there's plenty of wide receivers in the early rounds every year, especially this year, just looking at it, a lot of X prototype sized receivers, hmm. which, uh, which I think last year it was a lot of small guys and slot guys. This year you got some, Big six three, six four, six two, bigger guys. Um, and as you look at not to go off on a tangent, but when you look at the Ravens postseason losses, I think deep passing uh is a place where they could improve and getting a little bit better X probably helps there because when you have these hyper-specific game plans where they stack the box, uh, it allows them to, to slow down the run and also flood the intermediate zones. It's so you know, Munkin is technically, I believe, considered Air Coriel, which is supposed to be essentially power run and then deep shots. Um, but if you don't have the players for the deep shots, it makes it a little bit easier for the defense to scheme. So uh, so that's why I'd like to see the wide receiver uh, room develop into the next couple of years. They, they did a I mean, I, I, I'm always want more vertical threat wide receivers. So I never think I, I think one of the things I'm perfectly happy with is smaller speed. And I think there's going to mm-hmm. be such a focus on. Is always a focus on big speed. It's if if you've got if you're big and you can run, you, you're the the most you're a first round talent typically. Mm-hmm. It, when when the the guys who are smaller and who can run, those guys are are very often undervalued. And you look at Keaton Mitchell, tremendously undervalued from this last draft to go undrafted. And mm-hmm. uh, and and you look in in previous years, some of the wide receivers that have gone later, uh, Tank Dell, second round pick or third round pick. I think he was third. I think he was yeah. third. And, and see, even Zay being picked, what, third or fourth of the four wide receivers in that run in there is is a little bit of an underselection for for who he was. So I, I think smaller guys who are fast um, have been in the past undervalued. I actually think that the, the success of the Miami and Baltimore offenses this year, and in particular the unbelievable returns on Achan and um, Mitchell, will mm-hmm. drive a lot more drafting for pure speed this time around i think it goes through cycles but i think this is going to be one where where speed is really valued it makes sense because they continue to remove physicality from the game as much as they can the size and the strength is not as important as it used to be you know and i think that applies to pretty much not the trenches but the other positions the perimeter positions um so yeah it makes sense to me but you know just i have a list of six guys that are kind of in the 25 to 50 range that are all X size wide receivers that all have pretty good speed as well. So if you can have both, that's just sort of the way that the class is this year. So it's, it's nice. Sure. 
All right. Let's talk about OBJ for a minute. A guy who who is a bigger, more physical receiver, though we think of him that way. He's really only five eleven, but but he is a a fair, fairly large built guy. Um, he was restructured so he can be a post six one cut. I do expect that to happen. I don't expect OBJ to be back, but it did allow them to push um, uh, cap into two thousand twenty five by making him a post June one cut. So anyway, eleven point one million of cap savings comes in two thousand twenty four for that. That's not that's that's money that has been spent already. So it's mm-hmm. taken out of the twenty five cap instead. But the Ravens did needs a few. Um, mechanisms in order to push cap forward uh it's a it's a dangerous drug to get addicted to but in this case mm-hmm. they actually needed it yeah pretty much a teetered off instead of a balloon payment they're paying it over terms so over a few years um i agree with you i don't expect him to be back there's been you know he made some comments i believe uh responding to somebody on social media at, you know talking about how many targets he had although we never heard any of that during the year and then after the season he was defending himself I thought he did very well with the opportunity given, but at 31 years old, and he missed time this year. I mean, he was in and out of games. He missed a couple games. Um, I think it is time to get younger there. Right. And and I'll be the first to say that that Odell Beckham outperformed my expectations for him, but he still well underperformed the contract right. he was given. <laughs> right. So so yeah. uh, you know I, I had him at first. I had him in, at three hundred yards and change, and then I had him at about four forty. After I heard the terms of the contract, I'm saying, okay, well they have to throw the ball to him if they're going to pay him that much money. So it has to be mm-hmm. a significant. But then you know he he basically he was very good on a yards per target basis. And he was exactly what I expected him to be, unfortunately, on a um, targets per game and games played basis. And that's mm-hmm. where it, it really broke down is you just don't have a guy you can rely on for a full season anymore. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Uh, four other guys. Now we need to talk mm-hmm. about each of them had void years in their contract. They'll just go on one at a time. Zeitler is the first. And he's an interesting one. And and why? Okay, first of all, why was it important that talks occur now with Zeitler as opposed to later? Well, there was an opportunity to restructure those void dollars, roll them effectively into a new deal, and have those dollars not all be triggered on the date that has just passed, the 18th or the 19th, whichever was the the, the trigger date for this. So they had a chance to to move that money forward yet again and also re-sign a, a valuable piece of the offensive line yeah they opted not to i was a little bit surprised there were some uh reporting that they were in talks with kevin zeitler apparently that he wasn't willing to to meet their um their offer um i think it was projected for about seven and a half million it'll be interesting to see what he ends up garnering on the open market um you know if you have to choose, as we always talk about, you have to pick and choose where you're going to spend and where you're going to save. I always like investing in offensive line, but if you have to pick a place, maybe offensive guard is a place that they can. They have a track record of developing players. Um, because it was a void year, he is still going to be uh, incorporated into the compensatory formula. And um, just all these players that are that are expiring void years – can be resigned, and then the Ravens can, you know, they're factor in. Odo Beckham, since he's going to be essentially released, will not be uh, a part of that because of the way they restructured his deal. Just as, as a on the, the thought of it, you know, I don't necessarily want to, you know, resign every player so you can push every void dollar into the future. That's how you get into trouble with having, uh, you know, just just overextending yourself. 
Yeah. Uh, much like the Ravens really are right now, frankly, they've, they've, you know, they, the void years in a lot of ways were a concession to the COVID years and the Ravens were competitive throughout the COVID era. Well, not every team was, you know, not every mm-hmm. team had the quarterback to win it all during the COVID years. The Ravens didn't, but they, they were competitive and they were, you know, in playoff contention every year. And the problem is that, you know, when you do that and you're good during those years and the cap is getting cut um, because of what's happening, you, you have fewer options in terms of restructuring those dollars. So you, you notice there's an enormous have and have not differential um, expanding the NFL from the top cap teams and the bottom cap teams more than we've seen in the past. And yeah. it, it's it's just one of these things that's that, you know, teams are having to get more and more extreme. I won't say clever extreme about how they deal with these situations and the Ravens for the first time in their history were forced to use void years in these contracts. And, and uh, I don't, I think it's something they really would have liked to avoid if they could, but they've done it now. And now they're kind of, they've got this heroin in their system and it's going to be very hard for them to unravel that quickly. Mm -hmm. It'll take years of austerity to wean themselves off of the millions and millions of void dollars that they've accumulated. You know, to that point, I think I believe a third of the league is in the negative as far as cap space at the moment. In previous years, it's maybe been the Saints and maybe one or two other teams. I can't ever remember this many teams in the red, really. Um, I think it's a product of multiple factors. Certainly COVID plays a part. Having a franchise quarterback with the ballooning franchise dollars, quarterback dollars plays a part. Um, Trying to be a little bit more aggressive in in the market played a part um so we'll see how they unwind it that's probably the most fascinating thing to me this offseason is how are they going to unravel it how are they going to make pay off the debt yeah so the difference just so, to, to to Voss's point here the difference between the top and bottom teams in the NFL the Washington Commanders have the most effective cap space at 61.8 million and don't bother looking at cap space it's effective cap space that matters because it that considers your number of players under contract and paying the minimum to anybody who you have an open spot for. And the Saints are in the worst position with 80.6 million in the hole, which by the way, they have to resolve in, in the coming week or so with restructures and changes and cuts and all that stuff. Um, so Saints are going to have some roster moves to make, uh, which we always say, and and they do, but but the, they, they have a lot of uh, uh, work they need to do to decide wh- what kind of football team they're going to be. And at some point, they have to just decide they're going to they're going to tank it, and it's probably going to be more than a one year dive for the Saints team. I think the problem is I don't think they can take it. They have to. They ha- they can't cut. They have to restructure. So they're just in this vicious cycle of, of purgatory for for who knows how long. It's yeah. uh it's unbelievable how that played out. Uh, yeah. Uh, so Kevin Zeitler, it is not a 0% chance that Kevin Zeitler is back by the way. And I think basically to, to the point you're made about the contract that the Ravens may have offered him. Um, I think they've, they've sent him to the market with basically a contract that they would be willing to pay for a couple reasons. First of all, it, you know, it tells the player you're so interested. But the second thing is, um, it sets a minimum floor for what another team will sign him for and 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 probably ensures that they'll get at least probably a sixth round compensatory pick for Zeitler if he signs somewhere else. So they get at least something for him. And and uh, it could be that come May, probably after the draft, that the Ravens say, you know what, we still need a guard that we can trust. Right. Kevin Zeitler could be our guy. Right, I agree with you. It's not a foregone conclusion that any of these guys are gone. Um 
essentially the you know the the money that they borrowed in 23 is now going to hit on 24 if they would have kept them now it could have maybe hit on 25 or 26 either way it had to hit sometime so i agree with you just because they didn't take that deferral option doesn't mean they're not they're not definitely not coming back right and uh, and uh we'll, we'll move on here gus edwards the next one you know i'm a little surprised that gus was not re-signed and i think you know <laughs> so much stuff on on derrick henry has been mm-hmm. on twitter the last oh. couple of days and you know if if you like if you want derrick henry in baltimore why the hell wouldn't you want gus edwards back <laughs> Because Derrick Henry's going to cost a lot more. Gus Edwards does a lot of the things in a very similar manner, and he's one hell of a football player. Uh, Showed himself as a great short yardage back this last year, 13 touchdowns, all that great red zone running. I mean, all of the red zone, or much of the Ravens' improvement in the red zone is due to Gus Edwards. Yes, 13 touchdowns. Uh, last year, I saw, I believe it was Randy Mueller, former GM, put out his rankings, running back rankings. He actually had Gus Edwards higher than Derrick Henry uh, as uh, most coveted uh, running backs. Um, the thing about Gus, we've heard through the grapevine, you know, there, I think there is some concern about his the long-term durability of his knee. Um, and they did kind of taper off his carries towards the end of the season, especially in the, in the postseason. Uh, who knows how much that played a part. I would have liked to seen Gus come back on a cheap deal. Maybe that still happens, or maybe they look to the draft. But uh, Derrick Henry, this whole idea that Derrick Henry is going to change the offense or, or change the way defenses game plan the Ravens' offense, that doesn't make any sense to me. They're already stacking the box and trying to stop the run. So now you're going to – how is that changing anything? I don't I don't follow that logic at all. You, you, you can't get them to stack it any more than they're currently stacking it. They're, they're, they're <laughs> right. stacked to the, to the maximum right now. They're spying out Lamar Jackson. So I don't think you, I don't think you get a lot of value from that. But let me right. let me take another angle on this because I, I like yours and I'm I'm happy to hear that. But the other the other side of this is he's go out and sign any back. And Derrick Henry isn't the only one. Speak any other name back. Alvin Kamara has been name has come up and just like some of these names I can't even pronounce normally just because I, I have such a negative reaction to signing <laughs> a you know an aging running back. They're all one year moves, folks. One year right. moves. If you draft a player, you might get four years of cheap play. It's just it's it boggles the mind to think that people would prefer to sign into to buy into the decline phase of even a great player's career, uh, and 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 do it for a lot of money when when you can have a vet min contract or very close to it. Maybe maybe you pay two million a year if the guy's a second round pick um, to, for for a you know a player who could could. Really help your team for four years. 80-20. 80-20 rule is was 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 designed for the running back position, in my view. <laughs> there you go. Across the board. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Rock Yasin uh came in last year, and uh a lot of people thought he would be the number two corner with Humphrey. Uh that turned out to be doubly wrong as it was. Mm-hmm. Brandon Stevens, very much the Ravens' number one corner, played right corner the whole the whole season. Humphrey was was in and played pretty well when he was when he was uh available. The big problem was availability for him. And fortunately, Ronald Darby uh stepped up and took Rock Yassine's job. And very yes. also fortunately, <laughs> Hamilton stepped up and took over from a bunch of people who couldn't stay healthy and and mullet for some snaps at, at Slotcore. Yes. Uh 
hard to uh, remember a season where you went into with a position group with more uncertainty that turned out better. Uh, you know, you could probably hit on the 90th percent outcome for, especially for Stevens and Darby, I'd say. Versus Yassine had that one big play against the Bengals in the first game where he broke up that pass to Jamar Chase in the end zone. And besides that, didn't do a whole lot of great things. Uh, you know, he was picked on in coverage when he was inserted at times. Darby won the job. I don't see really much, much chance of him returning. Yeah, I see, interestingly, a healthy scratch during the season. At least once. It might have been twice, but at least once. And uh, to me, that is really not a good sign for a player like him. Uh, but anyway, disappointing year. We don't have to beat on the guy. It's just it, it, the contract didn't work out, and um, he'll, he'll be moving on. Uh, another another big free agent for the Ravens is Geno Stone. Uh, had void years, obviously. Uh, he, he's the one player of the Ravens free agents that I have really no idea how the market is going to value him. Safety market has been unpredictable for years. You see safety sitting out there on the market that have played well, that have the free safety skill set that just no one's interested in signing. Um, it was only 600K void years for Geno, I believe. So it wasn't like they had a huge, uh, you know, impetus to get that done beforehand. I wouldn't be shocked if he came back. Uh, I also wouldn't be shocked if he got paid more than anyone's expecting. Right. And I, I, I don't think he's going to get double digit millions at this point. I think there's some holes in his game, particularly on the tackling side where mm-hmm. he's probably going to be restricted, but it wouldn't, it certainly wouldn't surprise me if somebody signed him for four years and, If he ended up between twenty-three and thirty-five million anywhere, really wouldn't surprise me. If if he ended up at fourteen million for three or four years, it wouldn't shock me. And that's where I think he, he might drop back into the Ravens price range um if if he were to come at that sort of a price. And and it, it'd still be a tough pill for the Ravens to swallow right, on that kind of a contract. But uh but they do need a they need a back end safety. A stone exactly fits that role from a coverage standpoint. Very gifted, instinctive player um, who they'll otherwise have to try and replace in the draft. But on the other hand, safeties have to be able to tackle. And he made his first 21 tackles of the season and then had a 28% missed tackle rate for the rest of the year. And this is all that using the PFF missed tackles, which can be pretty harsh, but at least they're standardized across all safeties. Mm -hmm. And he was the third worst of all safeties in terms of missed tackle rate. Yeah, the eye test. The eye test uh, agrees with the, the PFF. There, surprising because I thought he was one of the sound tacklers filling the alley mm-hmm. in previous seasons, um, and he wasn't this year. The question is, how much are you going to pay to the middle of your defense? You have Roquan, you have Kyle Hamilton, you have Marcus Williams. Um, do, can you afford another? Even if it's a mid-tier veteran contract, can you afford that, or are you going to look to the draft? When you look, when you think about how Bear Worley played and several other safeties in previous years, I think there's a good chance the Ravens can, again, 80-20, what Geno Smith brought to the table. Yeah. I, I you know, if, if, I, if I want the ultimate 80-20 decision, if you, could, you could have Stone for, let's say, as cheap as they could possibly get. Let's say three years, nine million, that they somehow, mm-hmm. he's just, just no interest in him in the market and whatnot. Uh, so they could have him for that, or they could have Chuck Clark for one year at the vet minimum. Who do you take? I'll take Clark. I would yeah. take Clark. Yeah. I, I, as long as I the would. knee checks out. As long yeah. as the knee checks out. Yeah. He knows where he's supposed to be on the back end. Uh, he, he wouldn't make the Raheem Moore play 
Um, mm-hmm. That's one when Chuck wouldn't find himself out of position on that very good tackler. So I think you get a lot with Clark that uh, that that fits what the Ravens you know want to do at safety. So uh, and and I you know he in their all blitz schemes under Wink when he was here they're they're very heavy blitz schemes. Clark didn't show what he could do in terms of rotational coverage value because it wasn't really mm-hmm. Wink's game. But but mm-hmm. in if if the Ravens maintain that part of the defense and I think you know. As we saw a lot of Roman scheme being kept in the Mockinair, I think we'll see some rotational coverage play still out of, out of called out of Zach Orr. Um, I, I hope that that uh, you know a player like Clark, a really smart player, w- is someone who can read the keys at the uh, you know at the snap and and go to a spot and be an effective robber and an effective uh, uh, yes. rotator. Agreed. All right. So any of those guys could return. Um, uh, maybe Zeitler is the best chance. Maybe Edwards is the best chance. I don't really know. But but it, it, any of those guys, there's a there's a chance they could return. But it's it's not a big chance because the because the the big incentive or a portion of the incentive is gone. Yes. Yes. Well said. All right. So winners and losers. Let's talk about that because we, we, we've got some players whose fate seems to be determined in most of these cases. Maybe one changes. But let's talk. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. How about the offensive linemen first? Who are the who are the big winners and losers on the offensive line to you from the non-signing of Zeitler? Big big winner obviously has to be Ben Cleveland. I think he's at this point pretty much penciled in to be the starting right guard. He has played pretty well when given the opportunity at right guard. Um, he wasn't really part of the left guard mix. I think some of us kind of figured out maybe he's just a right side only player, and uh, it seems to be the case. So uh, I think they just reading the tea leaves. I think there's a, a chance that he's on the Ben Powers uh, development plan, and he's going to give have a, have a full chance to run with the run with the job in the fourth year. Yeah, Ryan Jensen as well. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a formula the Ravens have used often in terms of developing linemen. He provided them real value this last year. Had a had a darn fine year when he was in there playing and uh it's, it's two games you know is most of his play plus a lot of times a sixth offensive lineman but uh he's he's earned the right to fail at that right guard position i think he it, there's actually a pretty good chance he'll succeed i'll give you another winner i think that that andrew Voris, who mm-hmm. has been kind of a forgotten man on nfi the whole year we can now project to be one of the really strong competitors for for a guard spot and i'm not sure left or right in in his case uh, Cleveland, obviously, in some cases, Cleveland might have to get hurt for him to get the right guard job. I think it makes more sense to start Voris at left guard because of Cleveland's deficiencies. But in terms of being a power and strength guy, uh, Voris is, is made to made to play right guard. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I agree with that for sure. Voris, if you had to line up today, he'd probably be, well, assuming he's, he's recovered uh, at this point. Almost a year now, I guess almost to the to the to the week. Um, starting lineman. I don't. Th- I think he would probably start camp or OTAs with a leg up on Salah. 
based off what we saw out of Salah in the preseason. Right. I, I agree. I mean, Salah, as far as I can tell, is still a pure developmental prospect. And, you know, players like we get into a season and you have players like Falele or Salah um, being where they are in, in camp and, and not ready to take over a full-time starting role. You, you lose track of exactly where that player is in, in the fact that they're not playing any snaps. And Salah mm-hmm. actually didn't play any snaps. He was active for one game as a ninth offensive right. lineman. It didn't make any sense. But but anyway, the, the other the uh, the first uh, and the last, yeah, of that, the season. That, first and the last, yeah, was he? And, and yeah, he's uh, he he could be a guy who never plays a game for the Ravens. And I think you know people have projected him to be something when I think the primary use of Salah was to motivate Simpson this last year, and you know we saw that happen. I guess Simpson is another guy I'd like to get your thoughts on. Do you think the Ravens bring him back? Do you think he'll be cheap enough for them to bring him back? Um, I, I'm I'm not quite sure on that. Will he be cheap enough? I think he'll be cheap, uh, cheap enough for what he gave you. I'm not quite sure. I think this probably helps up Morgan Moses a bit, and mm-hmm. just because there's been smoke from pretty much all of the beat writers that he's a potential cut candidate. We thought, you know, there was no chance, but pretty much every beat writer on the beat has mentioned him in one of their articles in the last few weeks as a potential cut candidate. But if you're losing your veteran right guard, it makes it less likely. I guess they were, they saw some good things out of Falele and you're saying, okay, where, where do we actually have a, a younger player ready to step in? And right tackle might've been one of the ones you'd looked at. But uh, I think this pretty much guarantees Moses will be back. You don't want to go completely inexperienced on one side of your line at the same time. You know, it, it's a good point. It's it, the offensive line is a place where I really don't like to fall into groupthink with other people about this. Now, the one thing they may have inside information; those beat writers may have inside information about what went on in those end of season conversations, they may have caught Moses going out of the building or cleaning out his locker, whatever it might've been. And they might've gotten information from him that, that, that makes them believe, Oh, he might not be here next year. Kind of thing. Um, in, in truth, based on how he played, he's, he's completely safe, incredibly cheap. Um, if, if, if they had to rotate him the same amount that they did with Lele this year, he'd still be worth it. The guys nobody's right. talking about who I don't think is, is secure um, and nobody's talking about this, but is is McCary? Uh, he, you know, he's a legitimate backup left tackle, but he's he's, he's got a, like a five point seven million dollars savings from cutting him this year. I think it is. Let me let me make. Sure I think I it was that. four. I just looked at it actually right before the show came. Four four point four million is okay. a potential savings. So and that's a fair point. I mean, when you're looking at left tackle, not the transition, but yeah. you got two guys that are both kind of cap, and they're both kind of mediocre. And do you want? two guys like that or or are you okay saying one of them will get us one you know they'll rotate through and get us through the season i don't know having two guys that are cap uh what's the words you use cap concerns i believe yeah. uh that are both kind of mediocre players at the same time at the same position it's kind of a weird place to be <laughs> yeah it's it, it is a it, it is the thing and and you're talking about ronnie stanley and let's be fair with him finished very strong to the year. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he looked like a different player the last four or so weeks. And that is such a relief in terms of getting through the 2024 season because the barriers to entry, if we talk about a tackle, are very high. They can draft a tackle at number 30. He doesn't have to be ready to play right away 
He could be a three-year starter because I think we're looking ahead, reading the tea leaves. I think Stanley's just about a short cut in 25 when the savings is $20 million for cutting him. Yes, agreed. And that's sort of the money that's then going to go to Hamilton and your cornerstone cycle continues. Um, Athletic put out a beat writers mock draft. I think today three of the top 10 were offensive tackles, seven of the top 20 were offensive tackles. So you're not necessarily, although that's a great class, doesn't mean they're making it to 30. You know, yep. and then I think Zip Jeff ended up taking the guy with the dreaded guard tackle versatility. Um, it's more <laughs> of a, and and most of the second tier of tackles, there's kind of your top tier, top ten guys. They're mostly right side guys. They're mostly right tackles with that build. Um, to me, and if you had to line up today, you have Stevens and Marlin at corner. You have Ronnie and Moses at tackle. You have. Bateman and Zay at receiver. You have starters at those three positions, but any of the three need depth and need a succession plan. So I kind of do a limited BTPA between those three positions for all three first rounds, really. Right. I, I, I don't know. I haven't really begun my draft work in earnest at tackle specifically. And I don't know about Amarius Mims and whether or not He's a guy who could project the left side at all. But he's one of the guys that is is frequently projected to the Ravens at number 30. Yes, yes. I think Jeremiah had him. He has a length. I'll tell you that. He definitely has a length for the left side. Mm -hmm. Does he have the feet? We'll see. All right. All right. Uh, so we talked about the offensive line a little bit. In terms of, of Gus Edwards going away, I think one of the big winners is probably Justice Hill. Mm-hmm. I'd agree. Uh, Derek DaCosta pointed him out as a unsung hero of the season. Well, had the highest snap share of any back on the team. Not a perfect player. Kind of struggled at times in pass protection. A lot of running backs do, for the record. You don't have a whole lot of running backs that are Patrick Ricard. Um, but I agree. I think uh, that pretty much solidifies that he will be on the roster. He'd be your starter now with Mitchell hopefully getting up to speed at some point midseason, hopefully, and most likely a rookie or another a cheap vet in maybe the third wave, second, third wave of free agency after the Matabike situation is sorted out and the prices come down. Yeah, I that's certainly a possibility. I'd I'd kind of like a draft pick and maybe a UDFA back or a, sure. or a or a UDFA and even a scrap heap back. And oftentimes mm-hmm. that's a that's a place you get you get cuts made where there's an awful lot of players of the size and shape pool at running back. Um, in particular, if you want power backs, lots of chances to get. If you want speed backs, you're, you you may be more limited in terms of who you can get because the teams are going to be more protective of those guys. But, uh, you know, and there's there's a bajillion one-cut runners too. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to really worry about scarcity at that position. And the Ravens have played it very smart in past years and, and generally not really reached in terms of, of – um, of draft capital at those places. And, uh, and when they have, you know, maybe they've, they didn't completely burn their hand on the stove with the JK Dobbins pick, but they also didn't get value, you know, with Absolutely. him missing the, the time he did. Completely agree with that. And I sometimes wonder what the ceiling and the, 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 of this team could have been if they didn't go with uh, Patrick Queen in the first, J.K. Dobbins in the second. And it wasn't the back end of the second. That was the pick they got back from Hayden Hurst, which was in the top half of the second round. 55, at least the I middle. Think, right? Yeah. Okay. 50, well, okay. So I'm not quite that far down. But, uh, yeah, 
that's that's part of the the reason why you don't take a running back high is because your injury risk is higher at that position. Mm-hmm. It's it's all part of part of the baked into the cake there. So right. um, I I it's not a good class of backs either. I'll tell you that one of the top guys is Trey Benson, who I watched every game as an FSU fan, and mm-hmm. he's not a he's not a factor back. I'll tell you that he he's got some skills and some tools, but he doesn't have good vision and. Some people think he's going to be the top one off the board. I wouldn't touch him with the day two pick personally. I did. I did look at some of the running backs already, and, and Trey Benson is a guy whose missed tackle rate dropped. Sorry, forced missed tackles dropped precipitously from that first great year at FSU. Mm-hmm. I mean, hardly played at Oregon. Okay, and then he came to FSU, mm-hmm. and, and immediately is a factor. In, and FSU managed his workload pretty well. I mean, he's, you know, eleven carries a game, twelve carries a game, something like that each of the last two years. But but he the 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 first year he had a ton of broken tackles, and this year way yeah. down. Oh. Right. They ran their quarterback less too, and they had less read option and that sort of thing, which contributed, but pretty much the same caliber of line, if if not even better, last year than the year previously. Right. Well, you know, I'll, I'll say this: if they if they got Benson, you know, with a with an appropriate pick, I'd be a hell of a lot more happy with that selection than with going with a Derrick Henry, say. Uh, a million percent. Yeah, yeah. A million per- I, I think three million is my top dollar on any running back. Saquon Barkley, I don't it doesn't matter who is three million top dollar per year. Okay. So that'll rule you out of some, but frankly there's gonna be a lot of running backs coming back with their hands out come May and June and maybe on another Zoom call because it's just it's it's a it's a very tough market when it's so easy to find good young talent. Uh by the way this is not unusual professionally in the United States right. that you age right. and price your way out of usefulness in any profession. Look at the world of finance. They, they try and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go with a young guy over an old guy all the time. So anyway. It's capitalism. <laughs> there you go. At its, at its yep. finest. Uh, <laughs> you know, another guy, uh, if we're looking at the at the back end and the Geno Stone departure, I think there are a couple players whose role might increase because the Ravens are actually very shorthanded there now. But you mentioned one of them already is Daryl Worley. Yes. So he is a UFA veteran handshake guy. I'd like to I'd like to bring him back. I think he, any role you ask him to do, he's performed well. He has uh you know, I think, you know, one of those kind of role player core guys that can hang around the organization and provide value for multiple seasons. Can this team afford to have just four safeties if one of them is Hamilton? No, I, mean, I think not, you have okay. to have five. five. I mean, I they, they were running with five safeties, Brandon Trawick and all kind of guys that were only special teamers when they had – Jefferson and Weddle and uh, you know Ladarius Webb in the slot. Um, mm-hmm. They were using so I don't know how you go down to four safeties when one of your safeties is now your nickel at the same time. They definitely need to add two guys there probably. Yeah, I, I would say add two guys and and the and the Ravens are highly adept at finding these guys. They'll find them cheap. They'll find them aftermarket in terms of of getting guys who are veterans who get caught and they'll sign them at the vet men. And you look at all of Ravens history is littered with fantastic dimebacks. That's the unknown, one of the big unknowns about the Ravens this year. We think Zach Gore will be a committed nickel guy based on who he was as a player and the success of McDonald's defense last year. That's two big moves in that direction. But if for whatever reason Trenton Simpson is either not durable enough because he could get hurt or he's not um, uh, good enough in coverage at the NFL level and he starts making mistakes there, I don't see any reason why the Ravens wouldn't move to dime. 
Uh, it gives sure. Simpson another year to develop on early downs, and and uh, and hopefully they they uh, you know they they get something out of them at a later date. But you gotta you gotta get what you can out of a out of a dime back situation if it's available to you. Completely agree. Always been a fan of that that package, and uh, no reason to force Simpson to play all three downs if he's not ready. Absolutely yeah. no reason to do that. All right, then I guess the last guy. Um, and it's primarily relates to the Zeitler contract, but in general, the notion that they, they didn't really spend a lot of money on all seven of these players is Matabike. I think the chance of him getting the franchise tag, and I don't know whether you consider that a plus for Matabike or not, but I think it's a plus for the Ravens that they mm-hmm. have the money for Matabike and does not for sure mean Matabike will be a Raven if he gets tagged. Yes, I would agree with that. They need to make some room, about $5 million cap at the moment, and they have until March 5th to apply the tag. There's uh, some cut candidates. I think Tyus Bowser at $5.5 million is at the top of the list. Patrick Ricard at $4 million I think is a reasonable question to ask. That's a lot of money for a fullback. Um, and then there's also some of the uh, the built-in uh, restructures or, or – uh, options that are built into some of the larger contracts they have now we should we should talk about that but let's, let's backtrack to patrick ricard for just one second because i think find him one of the most interesting you said your top pricing pay on any running back is three right. million are, are you are you okay and i'll tell you right now i am with patrick ricard being the ravens highest paid player that plays either whatever you consider his position or running back because i am <laughs> Um, I'm not sure. I have to think about that. I think he's probably the best or second best after juice check at what he does. He brings the inline blocking. I personally, I think, I I think I'm at the point now where I'm ready to, to move on from Pat personally. I think uh, it's just, it's a lot of money and you got to make choices and having the highest, second highest paid fullback in the league is a tough pill to swallow when you have, Matapique and a lot of other players that you need other positions you need to take care of. Okay. And I'm I'm okay with that as well. And one of the reasons I'm okay with it is because the Ravens have already proved adept at finding that guy who is an unusual body type for the fullback position and converting him there from defensive mm-hmm. line, offensive line, whatever it might be. And a lot of teams are doing this now. You know, they they don't even carry a fullback on the roster. They the 28 times a year they want a fullback they put an offensive lineman in there and no problem the ravens if if they can find a nice athletic defensive lineman who otherwise is going to have difficulty playing defensive line in the nfl maybe a little undersized at 280 or something uh for that and 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 can put a fullback all for it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the other avenue is just drafting or or undrafted fullback that played in college. What is there about eight teams that carry a fullback on the roster? Yeah. There's a lot more teams than that that were, that run, you know, I form in college, SEC, Big Ten football. You know, you can find a guy. The Ravens have found so many fullbacks over the years and developed different guys. Um, I think they'd be okay there. As much as I like what Pat brings to the table, great locker room guy, great, great presence on the field, bringing that intensity, the reduction in snaps from last year coupled with the salary continuing to grow it's uh i think that might be a tough choice that i would probably make okay all right difficult one um patrick ricard is he a guy who would ever come back and be a ring of honor player for the ravens or would it take more time and pro bowls probably he came in 18 ken 
Is that correct? No, I, think, I think he was actually a 17 player because he was actually still playing the defensive line, but I'm going to look it up real quick here. Uh, so Patrick Ricard. There we go. 2017 rookie year. Okay. 17. Uh, I think you got to give him, I think he's got to do maybe two more years just because of the position. Um, okay. So let's, maybe they can have Pat come back on a half price. Who else is going to pay him that? I don't know. I don't know if there's any other team. Maybe uh, maybe the Chargers now that they have Greg Roman. I don't know. Yeah, you know, that is it's a possibility that, that he goes to one of the spots where the Ravens are real friendly, even the Jets, who I guess would be a possibility mm-hmm. too. But um, I, I kind of like the – I probably like the idea of an extension better than letting him play out this contract where he is. And I, I think he is mm-hmm. the kind of player who – you know, he's had problems with both hips, which is, is right. an issue. I guess I get a little nervous either way. High, about high it, contact, so. high contact position too, for sure. <laughs> All right. Um, what else do we want to take? There are a couple losers from the signings. I think. I think OBJ clearly is a loser from this. I don't see any way he's back uh, at getting restructured, even though they have a little bit more time to deal with him. They they already took a half measure. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, some of the stuff that's been said on social media. He's. He he didn't actually play only thirty percent of snaps, and that's what he's claiming. He actually, I, I I made a mistake and said this. So I want to make sure I, I I have it correct. I think he played forty percent of the snaps. The PFR number says he played sorry thirty percent of the snaps. Sorry, fifty percent of the snaps. But that that uses a weird denominator where it's only the games he was active, and you see exactly you can't, you can't trust that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if you don't play a game, that doesn't count as zero. It just counts as nil, and that zero zero the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Any other, yeah, I'd agree. I don't think he's coming back. Um, I guess you could maybe consider Tyler Wallace a loser because he's kind of pushed down one more peg of the depth chart at, at receiver with Aguilar. Tyler Wallace as a loser from the uh, from the Aguilar resigning, but we also you have an offset from OBJ what, not from, coming back, right? True. True. Very true. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll just talk a little bit, I think, about next week's show. So we're, we'll be on next Friday again. Uh, we'll be talking about the franchise tag and and what the Ravens need to do. I know in advance here, Voss already understands some of the underlying mechanics for both those deals. Maybe you want to set that up right now? Absolutely. So this is from Joel Corey, former agent, uh, published an article for CBS Sports last week. And they have, on March 17th, the Ravens have the option to exercise um, – a on 2027 on two different contracts they can exercise a lamar jackson dummy year with where they pay lamar 17.5 million this offseason and that reduces his base salary in 2024 from 32 million to 14 million roquan smith also has a 2027 year this is actually a real year would be at 16 million, so actually a little bit less than his APY at this point. In order to uh, do that, they have to pay him 12 million. They guarantee that 16 million sixth year, but his base salary goes from 18 million to 6 million in 2024. If you make those two moves, you are now have 30 million dollars more in cap space than you presently have. Interesting, because I, I bet that 16 million is counted into the original reported contract value of 100 million. As if they're going to pay it. I th- uh, I'm not sure about that. I'm sorry, okay. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, it's okay. Um, so, so anyway, I think I think there's a good chance it probably was. But it's it's if you're guaranteeing this money now, if you're eventually picking up the fifth year option on or a sixth 
fifth year option, right? Because there's 20, 23 through 27 we're talking about now on yes. this contract after one year and you're guaranteeing it. Boy, that's a big deal. That's a really right. big deal. So they that, that'd be the one I have a, a tough time with. There's something else that you just said that I'm reminded of now. If those if those can only be triggered on 317 and not before, which they may be, it may no, be it can be before. 17's okay. the deadline, not the okay. not the only chance. Yeah. Okay. So they, they they would need to do it before three five is my point. Because as soon as you put Matabiki mm-hmm. on the tag, you have to be able to fit him in. And you have to be under the under the cap for every day of the year. So yeah. Uh, right, these maneuvers, I think, are just the new normal with these mega quarterback contracts. Patrick Mahomes has a built-in thirty-five million, pretty much every year, that can be converted into a, a, a um, up to be prorated out, and they and they pick and choose what year they want to use it. And probably by the time he gets to the end of his deal, they're going <laughs> it's going to be you know triple ballooned. But uh, sometimes, I guess, it's the, the current landscape of the, of the league at this point. Yeah, they'll they'll obviously have to take a reset there. It doesn't mean you don't want Patrick Ricard, but it, I, sorry, it doesn't mean you don't want Patrick Mahomes. But it does mean that that you know you have to eventually make a plan to have a have a very bad year as soon as you're as soon as he's gone. And it's it's not the Ravens' way, and and it's not hopefully the Ravens something you impose on your season ticket holders because that's a that's a group you really has to take the hit for that. You, if you're sure. if you're watching from home. You can just turn off the TV anytime you want when the Ravens are three and nine. You can't do that if you're a season ticket holder. You're you're, you're worrying about selling your seats. You're, you're going to the games yourself. If you're like Voss or me and you're a reporter on the game, you you have an, an extra um, burden in having to write about this team that's not as fun anymore to analyze and talk about. And it's just it's it's I, to me I find it very frustrating. Understood. I definitely understand that perspective. All right. Last last thing we'll talk about today is the Zay Flowers news that came out with the investigation being suspended. Obviously, good news from from the uh, perspective of having Zay on the field at some point next year, hopefully for the entire year. Uh, Do you think this puts him in a position where he's by any potential um, punishment from the NFL itself? No, no. I think there's a reasonable chance he will be punished. Uh, for personal conduct, and that's pretty much at the left of the discretion. Roger Goodell, I believe, with uh, the president of the NFLPA, now has some sort of sway over that. Uh, and basically, uh, the most recent example I, I could dig up was in 2018, Jimmy Smith was suspended four games for the league. No charges were pressed. It wasn't a, uh, a legal matter, but uh, it was a personal conduct issue where apparently he was threatening or physically abusive or something to his girlfriend at the time and the league suspended him for four games. Um, and so I think that's probably the precedent to, to sort of expect. Okay. Well, I, I, of course, like every Ravens fan, I hope it's not that long, but honestly, as opposed to a full season or something, it's good. And, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm happy this is working out this way. I, I'm, I'd be even happier if I was 100% sure that nothing really happened or that whatever happened was his brother or somebody else involved with the situation, which still isn't good, by the way. I'd, I, the best thing is that, that nobody was involved. That didn't really happen. The second best thing is that, that it wasn't him and somebody else you know, who was in his group or his posse or whatever it might be that, that, that uh, was involved in this. But anyway. Of course. Good news you know, we're not us. qualified. We don't know what happened. We're I don't, I don't like to talk about cast judgment unless I saw it with my own two eyes, but uh, not a good look and something definitely to monitor. And, and uh, 
maybe not four games, maybe it's two games, maybe it's no games. I, I guess they're going to hire some sort of investigator or former, uh, you know, officer to, to to dig around and really see what happened and make their own judgment there, but not out of the woods yet. Okay. All right. Uh, always a pleasure to do with this, this show with you, Voss, and, and uh, looking forward to another good one next week. But tell folks where they can talk football with you online. And on Twitter, I am at Vasilis Pitown, V-A-S-I-L-I-S Pitown, co-managing editor and author for Baltimore Beatdown. Uh, love to talk off-season topics. So uh, one of my favorite times of year right now. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, continue. Look forward to discussing uh, more of this uh more of these all-season decisions and, and maneuvers next uh, next week with you, Ken. All right. Look forward to it every week. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, we have a, a historic series we're doing now, and I've already got a number of players taken, but second-tier Ravens players, talk about what they meant to you. And oftentimes, this could be as simple as talking about maybe two or three plays that you remember from this player. It can be talking about something something they did that was particularly cool. Uh, it could be about a personal experience with them if you want it to be like that. It could be about something they did for your community organization if you want it to be about that. I'm going to stick with some on the field stuff to, to, to supplement whatever you have on your, on your favorite player. But I've got a bunch of people who want to do uh, individual players. I want to hear from you. Just DM me directly on Twitter with your choice of player, and I'll get back to you, and we'll, we'll schedule those. We'll be doing them all offseason, and it'll be a major part of, of content as we go through this offseason. For Vassalarikos, this is Ken McCusick saying goodbye, and we'll talk to you next week on Friday Morning GM. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.